The Building Better Business podcast is the best place to learn how to take your business to the next level. It's no longer enough to earn good profits. You need to develop a network of connections as well as use all types of marketing to your advantage that will put you over the edge. Hosted by me, Steve Eschbach, a financial executive with decades of experience in dealing with businesses and business people, we'll learn how this all comes together. Join me and my expert guests as we delve into the many facets of owning the business and how to become a good, caring business owner. Listen how making a difference in your community can attract all sorts of clientele, which in turn will build you a better business. Greetings of the day, my fellow podcast guests, and welcome to another edition of Building Better Businesses. My name is Steve Eschbach. I own a local business here called Transworld Business Advisors. We're in the 40 miles west of Chicago, so we're in the Chicagoland suburbs. And what I do is I help business owners confidentially sell and match them with qualified buyers. Transworld is the largest business brokerage in the world, and we are the fastest growing business broker in the world. Been around for 40 years. So I'm delighted to be uh, running this Building Better Businesses podcast, and our guests that we have from time to time are going to tell us what their success stories have been, and uh, you can basically be a successful business owner as long as you've got a little mindset to take us there. So I'm delighted to have today Sheila, and she wants me to refer to her as Sheila FG, and she runs a business called Connected Sponsors, and I'm going to let her further explain her last name and then talk a little bit about the company she currently works or operates. Go ahead, Sheila. Thanks so much for your time today. Oh, thank you, Stephen. I really, really appreciate being on here. I love your podcast. I've been listening to it since I found out about it and I think you do a great job with it. So thank you. So yeah, so I got married about 26 years ago and thought, so I'm Irish. You can probably figure that out from my accent. So when I moved to America, I kind of didn't want to lose myself because, you know, I think someone might someday try and look me up. It hasn't happened yet, but so I didn't want to lose my name either when I got married. So I got married to my husband and we decided to combine, but he combined also. And and the funny thing is he's Italian and um, old school Italian, like his father is really old school Italian. And he thought that my husband was actually just taking my name and not taking his name. And there was like all kinds of eruptions until he figured it out. But, but yeah, so it's pronounced Farah Herjama. Um, people usually get like really stumbled on it. So I just say FG is, is fine. It's funny you mentioned that. I have a new family member who was born last year and her given name is Gemma. And oh, yeah. Life, it's, it's an Irish first name. Yeah. <laughs> and in my life, that's the third Gemma. You're now the fourth. And I've been around for five decades. So yeah, five decades. So I really like the fact that you came here, you had something in mind. And then because of life's changing events, you decided to kind of shift gears a little bit. Before that, though, we have to rewind the videotape because I want to learn a little bit more about your childhood. So sure. tell me about you growing up. Tell me about what kind of parental or family influences you had. I assume most of that took place in Ireland before you got here. It did, yeah. So I grew up in Ireland in a small town called Toome in County Galway. And I was always, so I'm, I'm an introvert, may not seem it right now, but this is all an act, I trust me. <laughs> I'll have to recover for like an hour after this. But I was always kind of entrepreneurial, even as a kid. When I was very little, about three or four, my dad told me that uh, coal would turn into diamonds. 
So my big plan at the time was I went to the coal shed and I took the biggest piece of coal I could carry and I brought it up to the back of our garden and I buried it. And I figured, you know, by the time I was old as him, because he was really old at the time, like he was probably in his 20s. And that was to me was really old that I would be rich and I wouldn't have to worry about anything. So obviously that first business did not work out. <laughs> but I was always kind of doing things like I my poor sister, she's four years younger than me. And I started up this kind of summer camp for kids when I was about eight or nine and charged them like they actually know that nobody paid because they didn't have the money, but they charged them or tried to charge them pennies. But I made her go out and get them all and bring them all in because I was too shy to ask. <laughs> so, but um, yeah, it's just uh, my parents are both working. They both worked for themselves. My father was in construction, so he kind of took over from his father. So it was a family business. And my mom was a pharmacist and ended up opening two different stores before she eventually retired as well. So it was always kind of in the books, even though they really reared me to go to college, get a degree, get a nice, good permanent job, which I did start out doing, but ended up pretty soon having to not do that because it just wasn't suiting my lifestyle at all. So your story raises my eyebrows a little bit, because even at a young age, you actually engaged your sister to help you do something that you are not comfortable with. So right. I think earlier on that demonstrates that you need to surround yourself with people who can do some things better than you can, but the collective effort, I guess, gets you to where you want to go. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Yeah. You got to delegate the stuff that either you don't like, or you just don't have, you're just not good at, but you don't want to abdicate the stuff. That's the difference. So you can delegate, but you want to make sure that you have an idea of how to do it and what's going on so that you can manage it if you need to. Um, but yeah, definitely don't spend your time doing something that you, you don't like doing or that's difficult for you. Absolutely. So very briefly, what where was your corporate stop? Is that a name that people might be familiar with? And how long was there? Were you there? And was it the corporate executive role that drove you? Out? No, no, not executive at all. So my background is I've a degree in biochemistry, believe it or not, which, you know, is very entrepreneurial. <laughs> I guess it is for some. And I got an offer of a green card uh, when I was graduating from I went to college in Ireland. I went to Trinity. And when I was graduating, I got an offer of a green card. So I applied for jobs all over and ended up getting a job in Boston at Boston University and in a lab. It was a lab job. I wasn't teaching or anything and kind of had a couple of jobs after that. Uh, met my husband, ended up getting married. That was the big fear. I, I came over here like at 22, 23. And if you told me I was going to be here for the rest of my life, I'd be, I wouldn't have gotten on the plane. I'd been like, no, I can't do that. But um, then my husband got married and a couple of years later had my first child. I have two children. So my first child was Ashling. Um, good Irish name. And I didn't want to go back to work. I was working for, um, it was Astra at the time. It's now AstraZeneca. It was just Astra when I was there. And I was a review chemist with them. So very scientific in the lab all the time. And I just knew I didn't want to go back. So I had to figure something out. So that's kind of, I was actually, you know, the story was I was postpartum depression, you know, probably needed a shower, sitting on a recliner in just this old white toweling robe that had long since been white, uh, watching TV and an infomercial came on for, um, you know, you can start these businesses and pay $10 and go to this hotel and they're going, we're going to teach you these four businesses. So I was like, oh my gosh, that's it. That is the answer. So I quickly whipped out a credit card. I bought two tickets because my dad was staying with me. He's always been my best supporter. And we drove up to this thing and were pitched, you know, on four different businesses. And the, the pitch was really like, you know, the one where they're like, you know, I have five dollars on my hand. Who'll pay me a dollar for this five dollars? And so we were very cynical, kind of sitting there and we left. But it started a conversation with my dad. And he's like, well, what are you going to do? My parents live in California now. So he had a friend living in California. 
who was doing toner um, repair, uh, toner cartridge remanufacturing and laser printer repair, which, you know, my dad was like, why don't you do that? And I was like, really? <laughs> you know, that's what you picked for me. <laughs> but I went out there. His uh, dad paid the guy to have me work there for a week. I learned everything I could. I came back and I thought to myself, accountants use a lot of toner because they do tax returns and everything. And I just uh, started calling accountants and actually got a sale and then got another sale and built it into a business. And, you know, it was just, it was one of those things, but would never have thought I was doing that, but it was my first business. And it, it really taught me a lot about business and what to do and what not to do. That's one of the ones that I actually managed to sell just by pure luck more than anything else. But um, mm -hmm. it was, it was a good learning ground, but what it did for me and what I wanted was anything I did, I wanted that to support what I wanted to do. And I wanted to be home with Ashling. Um, my other daughter, Laura, came about two years later. And I just wanted to be the mom that could go to the field trips and could be there if they were off home sick for a day, I would be home with them. I didn't want to have to call a boss and say, I need time off or any of this kind of stuff. I just wanted that independence. But I also needed, obviously, to make money so that we wouldn't be starving. So... <laughs> Well, that's a very interesting story, Sheila, because it demonstrated that you had two priorities. You had your family, which needed your utmost attention, which is critically important. Plus, you also had a need for you to do something that would bring money in the door. Like your story with the ink toner cartridges, and you figured it out. I think you figured it out on your own that accountants would be your target market. Is that correct? So That's, that's correct, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I think that demonstrates that you really need to kind of be responsive to the market conditions that you have in order to capitalize and move forward. But that's long gone, right? You're not yeah. selling ink toners anymore. Not doing that anymore. No, I was doing it out of my basement, which was, you know, pretty kind of scary when you think about it. So, so in reading your summary sheet before we started this interview, I uh, read that you have at least two businesses. One of them was an indoor playground venue. Uh-huh. Right? That was one. I don't know if that was still up and running. And then the other, which is connected sponsor, I think, has to do with real estate, has to do with education. Am I kind of right in the general? Um, no, so that's the other kind of entrepreneurial thing. I've kind of bounced around a lot. So I did have the Scallywags. I ran that for about five years. That was the second one that I managed to exit from. So I sold that to um, somebody else after about five years. It was you know, a great business. It was a kids indoor playground. We did about 40 birthday parties every weekend, if you can imagine that. I had a staff of 50 teenagers, so oh. that was interesting. <laughs> um, and then I was real estate for a while as well. I had a company called Foreclosures Mass. We did foreclosure data for real estate investors and teaching on how to invest in real estate, which that was one that we should have sold and didn't. And after kind of 2008, 2009, it was kind of worthless because you could buy a foreclosure with a side of fries in McDonald's at that point. So, you know, it's, it's just like, you make mistakes. Sometimes you know, sometimes you don't, and you just kind of have to move on and be with it. Sheila, I would argue no one ever makes mistakes. They just go through a lot of learning experiences. Exactly. Exactly. Before we yeah. get to connected sponsors, which you're going to demonstrate, sponsorships are critical for business success. You sold the ink toner cartridge business. You sold the playground business. Yeah. Sell the other one. So very briefly, when you sold the businesses, was that something that you? carefully thought out or you just said, I want to sell it, give me a price and I'll go for it. I'm just trying to get a sense of what you did. So it was both. So the toner cartridge business is I sold it when I was starting Scallywags and Foreclosures Mass, which I, we actually started at about the same time. So I was like incredibly overworked and stressed and 
I remember that winter I got strep throat probably about five or six times. So oh, it was wow. like really run down. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I knew I had to do something with it and, and I figured I would close it down. And then I was like, you know what? I have, there was a woman that I was in competition with who lived kind of in the northern part of the state. I was southern part. And I called her up and I was like, hey, you know, I'm thinking of selling. Would you be interested in buying? And she was like, let's talk. And we talked about it. And she's like, yeah, I think I would. And she made me an offer. And like, so I was coming from, I was closing this down. I was going to be zero. So when she made me the offer, I was like, that's great. And then she had me send over my books, which I did. And she called me back and she says, okay, now the offer is half. And I'm like, it's still okay. <laughs> so I sold it. <laughs> well, you know, so I'm it was kind of dumb luck, really. It's just, you know. Well, clearly you demonstrate that a half of what you intended to get is certainly better than the zero, which you may have thought could have been the end result. So Exactly. And honestly, my expectation was the zero. So, you know, this is good. And I kind of, you know, I had like a group of clients that I, I liked and I wanted them to be taken care of. And I didn't want to just abandon the whole thing. But at the same time, I couldn't keep it going. I'd, I had hired two people. One uh, guy used to do a lot of the repairs for me. And I had another girl in the office who did a lot of the admin. And they were both for different reasons moving on. The guy was going to college or to a postgrad thing. He's moving out of state. The girl was moving home. She was from California. It was, you know, it was all just piling on. I was like, something needs to give here and it can't be me. So, <laughs> so I caution our audience where Sheila just picked up the phone, found a buyer of her business. Yeah, it's not I, that easy. <laughs> today, it's not that easy. So don't think you can be a Sheila and go sell your business on your own. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wouldn't recommend it. I mean, you know, even the whole thing of the thing going from, you know, the price to half the price. I'm sure if I'd worked with a broker, that would have been way different. The second sale, I did work with a broker and he actually absolutely saved me. Part of the sale was that uh, we did a carry back which is where we finance some of the yeah. deal. If the person doesn't have all the money coming yeah, to the table no, initially. No, no. Yeah, I get that. Was that? It's called a seller note. That's what we a seller note. Right? Yeah, so yeah. It's it's that, that's why I'm not the professional. <laughs> but, but the broker that we were working with was amazing. And he had cautioned us to make sure that there's something behind it. So the person who was buying the business didn't have a lot, but his father was well to do. So um, he advised us to get a, a promissory note from the father and have him sign it in case something happened and of course something did happen and we didn't get all our money back but we got like the majority of it back whereas if it had if we hadn't done that we'd have lost everything so definitely hire a professional that's you know in everything i do now i seek a professional just to make sure that i'm on the right track and you know and it goes back to what you learned when you were a young little girl with your sister just hire yes. somebody who's a little bit better at what you're not comfortable with doing yeah right? yep. so you learned quite a bit you had some businesses you sold them you learned a lot during the process. Now you're with Connected Sponsors, right? Right. That's your current business. And what I read most interestingly about the material that I did before we met is that you're a strong believer of getting support and sponsorship that will enhance both parties. Is that? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Actually, it almost enhances three parties because... The thing with sponsorship and part of the reason I got into it was I, I saw in the industry that, you know, I work a lot with events and podcasts, mainly events, podcasts more recently as they've become more popular. But I would see sometimes in the industry that people would, you know, they'd bring on sponsors and make all these promises and get a check. And once the check was cashed, they kind of forgot about them. 
So there was a lot of disjunction there. And there's just, there's such a huge opportunity if you treat it as a strategic partnership that's going to last. Like, so treat it almost like you're getting married to this person. You know, you want to be committed. You want to make sure they're happy. So a lot of what I do, even though I work for an event owner, technically that's who hires me to bring in the sponsors. I consider the sponsors are my client. So what I do is when I bring them in, I want to make sure that they get everything they've been promised and also that we can leverage things that are happening that maybe the event owner doesn't know about to build up what the sponsor is getting as well. And then the third component of that, um, especially when you think about events, is all the students in the, the ballroom who are listening. They're learning from the speaker who's running the event. And then they can literally just walk out into the hallway and all the resources they need to be successful are there. So it's just like a very win-win-win, which I know is kind of a cliche type of term. But if it's feeding everyone, that's what is really going to help out and make a long-term thing rather than just a sponsor coming in and giving money to an event. Right. So I'm hearing something a little different. And I tend to listen, learn, and kind of interpret. But I get a sense that what you're trying to do and when you're working with your clients and the sponsors, you're trying to educate them as to the maximum benefit that they can get out of this arrangement that you're doing and clearly explaining, educating, so they understand it is the way that you get the win plus win plus win, the three wins, right? Is that correct? correct? Yeah. Everyone has to receive value or it's not worth doing. Yeah. You really have to give it a lot of effort and you have to be willing to, like I said, ask questions. Because, you know, once you sign the check and you collect the check, then that, that's it. It, it only starts there. That's not right. where it ends. <laughs> yeah. And the fact that you're willing to be continuously communicating with them, which, you know, communication is key with everything, mm-hmm. you know, whether you're raising a family or whether you're uh, running a business or anything, it's clear that you need to stay in touch, keep them informed. And, you know, today, of course, with the uh, pandemic and everything else going around that's changing constantly, we're talking about degrees of change that no one would ever imagine in any Monte Carlo simulation. We're talking crazy things. So you have to be on top of things and communicate. Is that kind of what you're saying? That's what. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, communication is huge. Like you can mess up a lot. And if you're communicating well with people, it's not, you know, it's people are forgiving of it. It's I think where people get frustrated is if they're just they're not being told what's happening so you know thing they just don't know what's happening so as long as you communicate even if it's not the best communication as in it's not the best news if they see that you're genuinely you know working to make this right they're going to give you a lot of leeway to do that absolutely so what would be your ideal client sheila what would you say do they come finding you do you go finding them they come finding me so i've actually through COVID, because of that i've pivoted and i've started to create products of teach other people how to do what i do Um, because I'm turning people away constantly because I just don't have the bandwidth. It's, as you can imagine, it's a decent amount of work and I don't have the bandwidth to continuously, you know, to take on more than I can handle. And I'm not in the position right now where I want to like build out a big company and have salespeople working for me and stuff like that. So my thought was to create a group of people who learn how to do this and then I can just, you know, refer the business back to them. I can be supportive of them. So I want to kind of step into more of a consultant role than an actual doing role, if that makes sense. Interesting. Well, and what type of clients are reaching out to you? What type of... Um, so I mainly work in kind of the event space. So like digital marketing events, accountancy events are the two main ones that I do. You know, so I would say mostly it's kind of online digital marketing, people who sell information, so information products, that type of thing. 
So am I correct in saying that the demand is still there, but the venue may have changed a bit. So instead of being a physical location, it's more of a digital location. Exactly. Yeah. So it's definitely changed. And, you know, the industry on a whole has pivoted very well. You know, you've seen in the last year, like virtual events go from like a, a camera in a ballroom doing a live stream and there was like no interaction to these like amazing virtual events now that... It just puts so much into making it so that you feel like you're actually at the event, even though you're sitting in your office or your living room or whatever, watching it on Zoom or whatever thing so that you're, you're looking at. Right. So you're familiar with the term vendor showcase, right? Yeah. So this is something that happened to me, and I think it happened to me probably about four months ago. Okay. So it was an event. It was an event to learn how to improve your business, but they had a, quote, vendor showcase. But what was the vendor showcase? It was not going into another room where all the booths were set up and you'd stop by, yeah. you would go from breakout room to breakout room to breakout room. Is that kind of what you're seeing is the way? Yeah. That- so it's either you're going to breakout rooms or that you have your own kind of room where they're coming into you. And then you're just kind of steering that conversation, asking them questions, figuring out what their needs are. So just, I, and I think it's more than like, so when you have a vendor room that's like outside the ballroom or in an exhibition right. area, people are kind of wandering by. They, they're right. trying to see quickly, like with whatever marketing stuff you have or banners, like what you are, do they want to talk to you or not? And there's this kind of like, oh, I don't want to get stuck in a conversation if it's not something that I want to do. And they just kind of want go by. Whereas with the virtual, I think there's more of a pre-framework so that um, you know who's in the room and you've a reason there's kind of more of a call to action to go there. So I think it's kind of better for the sponsor. And then I think the conversations are better as well. I've actually sponsored a couple of events and I've been in events that are sponsored. And obviously I'll go to all the rooms because I want to see what's going on and what I can learn. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm going to add a little commentary to that. So when you go to an event that has these so-called virtual showcases, you should be encouraged to go in and out of the rooms on your own. I do a lot of business networking virtual events and they assign you to a room and they expect you to stay there until the break room time period exit or ends. Here, they actually incur you to mingle. So basically yep. you're going in a, in a break room, you're listening, maybe interacting, and then you're exiting. It's kind of interesting. I mean, you're doing the same thing as you would in a hotel ballroom, visiting the various vendor booths, but now you're just electronically entering the so-called vendor showcase table. Right. Very fascinating. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, everything's changing and oh, yeah. we just have to kind of, you know, keep up with it and innovate and improvise ourselves as well. So this is kind of crazy. So you're successful because you had two businesses that you had to get rid of because you were overwhelmed and it just didn't fit your lifestyle. What would you say? And I'm going to ask you two questions. Number yep. one, what was the most impactful advice you got along the way to get you to where you are today. And then the follow-up question to that will be, is that the same advice you'd give others who want to do their own business? Or did the advice you get way back, you implemented that, and now you've discovered there's something else to tell people going forward. So I'll leave that up to you as how you want to answer both. Okay, good question. I think the best advice I got, I was very involved with, it was Glazer Kennedy Inner Circle, GKIC, And one of the owners of that, Dan Kennedy, always, always said, you know, the money is in the database. So, you know, you can have a business and you can have, you know, a product and whatever. And I think people focus on that rather than, you know, if you don't have the customers, you really don't have anything. So that's something that, you know, in business, I've always like from when I heard that to now, you know, I wouldn't change my mind on that. 
Uh, when I had Scallywags, one of the things, because it was kids coming in, there was a lot of security thing, you know, security concerns. So everyone had to check in at the front desk. And the way I did it was I did it by the last four digits of their phone number, but I had to register everyone. So I registered all of the kids with their birth date. So every month I would send out probably between a thousand, two thousand birthday cards or big uh, postcards the month prior to their birthday saying, Hey, Scally, which was our mascot knows it's your birthday. Happy birthday. And then all the information about birthday parties. And these were gangbusters. I mean, it was amazing. But if I didn't have that date, like if I just like take the money at the counter and had them come in and not know who they were, I wouldn't have had that. And it was, it's something in a business that you can turn on. If, if you're having a, a hard time and you need to like, get money quickly, just make an offer to them, you know. They clearly demonstrate that knowledge is powerful. I was just on a a presentation last evening and, you know, I I go to these events and I always try to take away one, two, or maybe three snippets. You can't take away every piece of content, every PowerPoint slide, but but knowledge is powerful. And, And what you're demonstrating there, Sheila, is that, you know, if you have this information and you're genuine about the subsequent reach outs, it can work. It can absolutely work. So is that the same advice you give business owners going forward? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, we're about running toward the end of our time slot, Sheila, and I probably could ask you 10, 20, 40 dozen more questions. But what have we not covered during our interview this morning that you think you would like the audience to take away that we may have missed? So I think, you know, just we were talking just before we went on air here, and I said one of my favorite sayings is seek the swift sword. So the whole thing is if you're going to make mistakes, which you are, absolutely, I can guarantee you that, make them quickly and move on. So don't get caught up in the, you know, the analysis and should I do this? You want it to a certain degree. Obviously, you want to do due diligence. But you want to get to the point where, you know, you're moving forward, even if it's just like baby steps, keep moving forward rather than getting caught up in the should I do this? Should I not do it? Yeah. So that would be my my parting words. <laughs> so I'll just add a little bit to that. I was in investor relations in my corporate life, and I would train C-level executives to communicate their story to Wall Street. And I told them that if you make a promise that your earnings per share are going to be X and you miss it one quarter, you're allowed to say, hey, we thought we'd make $3 a share. We only made two fifty. Here's the reason why. And this is what we're doing to correct it going forward. So yep. my point being, and you make mistakes and I don't. I've told the audience that I never make mistakes. I just have a lot of learning experiences. But if you can demonstrate that, hey, we miscued here, we made the correction, and we don't anticipate it happening again, I think you're probably thought of a lot more highly than you would be trying to sweep it under the rug. Would that be a fair statement? Absolutely. It all goes back to communication. It's like whatever the truth is, tell the truth, no matter how hard it is yeah. um, and how you know bad the story may be. People are going to appreciate that more than trying to cover it up or trying to fabricate or anything like that. It's like, yeah. just be vulnerable and say, this is where I'm at. You know, I messed up. It's me. But this is my plan. Absolutely. Accountability and then responding to uh, what you learn, I think is critically important. Yeah. And do it quickly. If you know it's going bad, do it quickly. Absolutely. So Sheila, at the end of this call, I'm going to ask you to tell the world how they can find out more information about you. So I leave it up to you. Uh, You can give us a website, email address, whatever you want to leave the audience with. It's your call. Go right ahead. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Um, The website is connectedsponsors.com. So C-O-N-N-E-C-T-E-D, sponsors, S-P-O-N-S-O-R-S.com. And you can, I'm mainly kind of on Facebook, which is at Connected Sponsors. 
And if you wanted to email me, it's info at Connected Sponsors. Yeah. So thank you and so much. Last, I'd love to hear from your, your people. Great. The last point I'm going to make, okay, for this, uh, for those of you concerned that COVID-19 is going to turn everything upside down, it's just going to change things. So the events still happen. They just happen in a different format. And I think we learned that from Sheila today. So thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. And uh, thank you for joining us for another edition of Building Better Businesses. Look forward to the next time. Thank you. The Building Better Business podcast is the best place to learn how to take your business to the next level. It's no longer enough to earn good profits. You need to develop a network of connections as well as use all types of marketing to your advantage that will put you over the edge. Hosted by me, Steve Eschbach, a financial executive with decades of experience in dealing with businesses and business people, we'll learn how this all comes together. Join me and my expert guests as we delve into the many facets of owning the business and how to become a good, caring business owner. Listen how making a difference in your community can attract all sorts of clientele, which in turn will build you a better business.